Hello and welcome everybody to According to Andrew number 99, a review of Sulla, a dictator of or a dictator reconsidered. Uh, it was a book that I recently finished, and I wanted to talk to you about some thoughts I had on it and all that good stuff. Uh, before that, a uh, minor announcement: uh, podcasts are moving to Friday because of a new job situation. Um, so uh, it works best for Friday. So if I know I've been pretty inconsistent, but Friday work should work best in my schedule. So we will be doing them every Friday moving forward. Um, and that's assuming they get uploaded. So if Friday slash Saturday, depending on when you get uh, the upload. Um, but I will be recording them on Friday. Uh, so into the whole book. So it was an interesting book. It recharacterized Sulla. So one thing I did do when I read this is I read Sulla and then I also have uh, uh, Plutarch's Lives and he wrote back in the, uh, when did, when was he writing? Like maybe a hundred AD, 200. He was really in when Rome was still around, but, um, after a lot of these events, but I read his take on Sulla along with, uh, this, uh, Linda Telford's take on it, uh, to kind of get a comparative, uh, type situation. And she definitely sees him in a much more favorable light and I'm kind of a fan of Sulla, so, like, I kind of agree with her, to be fair. Um, some people say, claim that he, he's the one that destroyed the Empire and stuff like that, and and the Republic. Uh, to a certain extent, I agree, but it kind of did it to itself uh, sort of thing. Like, you know, the corruption was so out of control that uh, it wasn't an if, it was when more, as I see it. But... Uh, some things that I was able to glean from the book is that he was an exceptional leader uh, and had the quality of uh, walking with kings but not losing the common touch. Uh, if you haven't heard the poem If, which is absolutely fantastic. There's a... Uh, it's by Rudyard Kipling, who wrote the Jungle, jungle Book, interestingly enough. But there's one line in here uh, where it says... Or I'll read the last stanza. Uh, if you can talk with uh, crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither for, for uh, neither for foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men counting with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and with that is more, you'll be a man, my son. So. Outside of me stumbling over every other word in that, in that thing, uh, that that was something that kind of Sulla, I felt, embodied more than other historical figures I read. Now, I haven't read that many historical figure-type things that focus specifically on one person so much. I'm I've gen Histories that I've read are generally more your uh, macro look at the events and how all things played out, and maybe how one or two people kind of interacted, but never... Uh, kind of a full look at their life. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. So the reason that he had kind of this uh, interesting perspective and something that might be quite unique to him and, and make it so that he can't really be replicated that place is he was uh, a patrician in Roman society, but he was poor at the time. Uh, his family had been uh, powerful at one point, but they had kind of fallen from graces and lost their money. I, it, was, it was kind of unclear whether or not they had lost it because one of his uh, predecessors had become a uh, consul and that cost a lot of money. So they basically 
became council, and then that, that led their family into ruin. Uh, also something about uh, him, like their family hoarding too much money or something like that, and so being uh, punished for that and then having a lot of their wealth stripped and him being destitute. Not completely destitute, but much more struggling. So he, he couldn't really fit, he didn't fit in, he didn't have the money to uh, be a high roller with all of the people of his class. So he ended up making friends with uh, the plebeians, the more common type po uh, people, the uh, like circus performers and all that type of stuff. So a lot of people saw him as kind of weird, but I think that was one of the things that helped him be an effective leader later on in life. Uh, one thing that I did notice within it is uh, she seemed to project motives on other actors. Like, it, she kind of did the reverse. So this was kind of looking at things in the best interpretive light that you could, given the various circumstances. Uh, because there's a lot of, like, this, like, there's, like, this happened, and then there's, like, okay, well, why did that happen? And nobody really knows, so there's a bunch of different productions, per, or, uh, suggestions on that. So, in, uh, Plutarch's case, he usually takes the side against Sulla, saying, like, oh, he's, you know, he did it because he's evil, or self-centered, or some crap like that. And, uh, she, uh, Linda would do the opposite of that, but... In doing so, she would sometimes project motives onto other people that it didn't necessarily have a, a standing for. Uh, in some senses, it was uh, pretty egregious uh, to do because the, it wasn't like quantified. Anyway. It was like this person is thinking this thing, and then like usually, if, if she said like Solo was thinking this thing, there would be like a detailed description of like why they came to that conclusion. Or things like that. And in that regard, it's like, okay, sure, you're kind of like saying this is what happened and this is why this person thought that thing. That's fine. Uh, and you're you're giving your assessment of why you you came to that conclusion. Uh, but some of these other ones would be like, this person was just doing this because they hated Sulla. And it was like, there's no explanation as to how they came to that conclusion. So that thing, was, that was one of the downsides I overall uh, thought of it. But, um, yeah, I, it was, overall, it did a good job. Uh, did a good job of explaining their interpretations, like I said, of events, especially when it came to uh, differences from the main narrative. Also, I agreed with the thorough assessments uh, as if you, oh, the author's assessments, as if you track the actions of the man, it is clearly indicative of someone who is an alpha simply by his leadership and prowess alone. Therefore, comparing the two interpretations of events uh, put forward by this book, over the more congruent, uh, they're more congruent with alpha type behavior than what I see as the more mainstream narrative, which kind of makes him come off as a gamma, which he obviously isn't. It's just um, not a thing that he kind of considers. Uh, so there is an argument to be made that Sulla is a Bravo, which I think is kind of interesting, uh, though he did not seek his. Uh, though he did seek his own command, uh, he seemed to have worked quite well within the hierarchy and never tried to uh, surpass the alpha he was serving under. He had moments of bravado. He would do things kind of for, uh, you could claim for his own grandeur, or, but like 
that was kind of the thing in Rome is when you're a young person, like you're trying to make your mark on the world, you're going to take risks. You're going to do things that are, are somewhat foolish, but, um, you know, he never tried to overstep his post. Uh, from what I read, that might be kind of a Roman thing. Well, I mean, it's the proper thing to do in a hierarchy, but, uh, Rome did a good job of being like, look, you gotta, you gotta earn your keep kind of thing. So that might've just been a Roman thing. But since this book was focused on Sully, I don't really necessarily have that perspective to make that assessment. Uh, but anyway, uh, on top of that, when you compare his ambitions to those of his, uh, of the triumvirate, uh, which is Pompey, Crassus, and Caesar, uh, they are starkly different. He always asked for the grace of Senate before direct action was uh, done, even when they had wronged him. Uh, and so he kind of operates, like he's he's obviously like an alpha type purpose personality, but he operates within kind of the rules that are set forth by Rome to such a degree that it's almost like you know, you're supposed to be a servant of Rome, but most people didn't in Rome didn't take it that way. They're like, I'm here for my own aggrandizement kind of thing. Uh, and I think that is a boon to Sulla, but it, it might indicate more of a Bravo type tendency. So that kind of brings me to this other idea, uh, which is that kind of stirred around in my head while I was uh, reading this, which is uh, having a Bravo be subsidiary to an uh, to the institution is an interesting idea. So the idea is it's better if you have an institution and it's basically supposed to be a unmoving institution. Uh, the church would be a good example where it's like, here's the rules set down by God. We don't change these rules. Um, gov a lot of governmental uh, institutions are also similar. Here's the mandate of what you need to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Uh, don't really go outside these bounds. I think that in those situations, you're probably better off having a Bravo in the leadership head role than an alpha, uh, which might be controversial. <laughs> um, the reason I think that is the better decision is because uh, while alphas are great at vision, uh, their vision necessarily must be somewhat self-centered. Uh, it must be to, like, they are looking to make their mark on the world. They're, they want to have an impact in their own way on the world and all men to a certain degree want to do this but um i think it's one of the defining characteristics of the alpha type personality uh this is great when it comes to building institutions but a negative when it comes to maintaining them uh the reason for this is because if you have to just work within the confines of the rules it's the alpha it doesn't fit the alpha's personality because he's not the one defining the rules he's got to work within basically he's got to be subservient to a previous alpha who said here's the rules and now this is how you have to run it uh but uh this is but that is only true if the institution is meant to have a fixed vision like the government like the church that i mentioned uh and not an ever-evolving one uh government institutions are more fixed visions while companies to keep up with an ever-changing market are ever-evolving uh, and that's not to say that government institutions or the church don't need to update their belief systems or uh, belief systems, not the right thing. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of 
uh, different variations. I know within church history, uh, scholasticism was kind of the uh, foundational theological thing, and then that gave way to something else. I don't remember exactly. Uh, uh, Dr. Ah, what's his name? Dr. Jones. Dr. E. Michael Jones knows the whole history on that. So uh, go watch one of his videos if you want uh, something that outlines that. But uh, they do need to change. I'm, that, I'm, that I'm not saying. But like their rate of change is so slow that it's kind of like a generational type thing. It takes a long time. And it's better off to have people in those positions of power that are going to be better at maintaining the system instead of trying to uh, make their mark on history. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what other people's perspective on this is because it's not, um, it's an idea I came up with and I'm not 100% sure what uh, the pros and cons of the, the whole thing. And, and so it'd be an interesting idea to kind of flesh out with people. So leave a comment. Um, <clears throat> the ever-evolving vision requires an alpha in leadership or it will not survive uh, when it comes to government uh uh, company type things the you know apple is a good example right they had the mac that was revolutionary at the time then they came up with the ipod that transformed into the iphone and so steve jobs was really good at a, a really good visionary leader for that company um and then now you have tim cook and he's he's not at that type of visionary he was very good at being uh the support guy to steve jobs uh the fixed-type institution, however, runs into the issue of the alpha having an idea or vision, but it is outside the scope of the institution. Thus, you get the alphabet soup agencies that continuously expand their scope and power, as that is the modus operandi of the alpha. The Bravo's job, on the other hand, is to take the orders of the alpha and ensure that they are carried out. This fits perfectly within the government institution framework, as the orders of the alpha are the established institutional framework. The Bravo can use this as a guiding principle from which to carry out the will of the Alpha, even though technically as a person it is not there. Uh, the trait that puts the institution and its ability to function over all else seems like an uncommon trait these days, so it might be uh, wishful thinking. It also might be, uh, emo it is also equally as likely that I am so used to corruption and dysfunction in our current government and current institutions and in Rome's, having just read uh, about Rome quite a bit, that uh, the idea that someone would put an institution over their personal ambition first seems like a rarity. So those are kind of the my ideas on it and maybe some of my biases slash perspectives, uh, blind spot, potential blind spots that I at least can spot um, on this issue. Uh, but to kind of wrap up one last little thing uh, is to discuss uh, Sulla and kind of the influence they had. So, uh, as if you're familiar with the story of Sulla, basically during the Civil War and stuff like that, uh, he was very effective at using Sun Tzu's principle of winning the war before even fighting the battle. And he would do things that would get a lot of the soldiers from the other side to mutiny and join his army, not only bolstering his own army and reducing the others, but making it so that a lot of times he didn't even have to fight battles and made it so that he didn't, ha he basically almost never uh, lost hardly any troops during this whole uh, campaign, which is almost textbook art of war. Uh, but I think it 
he has another element to it that uh, if you read Fourth Generation Warfare, uh, Bill Lind or, or William Lind uh, ties a lot of stuff into. So uh, Bill Lind discusses the moral level of war when discussing Fourth Generation Warfare. Uh, so the moral level of war in Fourth Generation Warfare, uh, war is split up into th- is traditionally split up into three categories. You have uh, tactical, that's your on the ground man making decisions to try to outflank the enemy kind of stuff. You have uh, operational, uh, which is your larger grand strategy of how you are going to uh, take your objective, and then you have strategic, which is your uh, grand, which is the all it encompasses all the operations and the overall goal and vision of what the war is supposed to ultimately the the ends and the goals of the war itself this is then bisected in fourth generation warfare by these other three levels which is uh more or moral which is the highest level uh having a moral stance or a moral purpose for going to war and and doing these things uh yeah basically it comes down to the idea of a just war which has been around for a long time. Um, then you have psychological, trying to break people's uh, psyches, and uh, physical is the the weakest form, where you just try to make stuff people do stuff through brute force. <clears throat> uh, the reason it's the weakest form is because if people perceive that they have the moral high ground or are psychologically strong, uh, they will resist you to their very death. Uh, even if you use violence, that's why, uh, fear and and fear would be your, um, psychological kind of state. So, and a lot of times violence and fear go together, but obviously we can see with throughout history, a lot of times where people put up and resisted to things like fear, uh, fear and intimidation that were being used, uh, that people's moral compasses far outweigh the threat of, of violence and the fear of violence against them. Uh, more than uh, than it than it actually happening to them. Uh, anyway, diving into this, uh, when reading Sulla, uh, much of the reason he was seen as an effective leader and had people defect to his side is because of his sense of justice and being based on principles that were not arbitrary, not arbitrary corruption like we see so much throughout Rome. Uh, so. An example of this is when he would capture a city, generally a lot of times the rules was people would go and rampage and be able to steal everything and rape and um, just destroy anything they wanted, steal everything that they wanted kind of thing, and that was a way to kind of pay your soldiers, especially since they didn't have regular pay at the time. Um, so, and it's not to say that Sulla didn't let his soldiers do that under certain circumstances, but um, his leniency to various uh, places that he sieged or people that were enemies that decided to come back to his side, his leniency is uncommon for the time. Uh, By our standards, he's still very brutal, but for the time, he was much more lenient. Uh, uh, Similar things have been said about Xi, the leader of China, uh, and the leader of Singapore. Uh... And what I mean by that is their their whole idea is, and both Xi and 
uh, the leader of Singapore, which I forget his name. Um, I think he might have passed away, but the, the founder of Singapore. Uh, their whole thing is, like, making sure that you stay true, uh, your morals stay true, and that you don't bend from those morals, because the enemy can use any... If you slip up once, or any tiny little way, your enemy will use that and absolutely destroy you with it. So you, you have to... It is... Um, important that you stay morally true or you will lose to your enemy because they are morally bankrupt and they're willing to go uh, much deeper and uh, take the low road take the lowest possible road that you aren't willing to cross so because you're not willing to cross the low road you can't travel on any of the low roads you have to travel on the highest road and take that moral stance because and and actually live it because otherwise they will destroy you because you're in the, you end up playing their game. Uh, that's the idea. By having uh, firm moral principles that are <clears throat> that they held themselves and everyone around them uh, to to it created a position from which they were unassailable. Sure, the opposition will lie and use propaganda to try and invert the truth, but holding to that line eventually breaks the opposition. Sulla always waited for his opponents to overstretch. Uh, doing illegal things like removing him from council uh, with no justification, a, uh, just done with violence, the mob rule. Uh, we see that kind of, we see a nonviolent form of that in Twitter nowadays. Uh, he would then respond in kind, resorting, uh, restoring order and having Akasa's belly to remove the dissidents. Uh, so basically, to kind of give some context, basically what happened is. Uh, he went off to, I think, finish up the civil war that had been going on, <clears throat> and they tried to, like, take the command from him and all this stuff and do a bunch of illegal things and use the mob to enforce that, and this is when he basically destroyed the Republic by marching back across Rome and bringing an army into Rome, even though, uh, that had never been done before, and there was a, he basically set the precedent that this could be done. Uh, it had always been, like, kind of an unwritten rule and, and a kind of term that it's like okay well this is like one of those lines that we don't cross and you can blame solo for being like oh well he shouldn't have crossed that thing but you got to understand that so many other people crossed that line before him right uh they shouldn't have let the mob rule their thing they shouldn't have bowed to uh the violence and all that stuff <clears throat> they should have done the right thing and, and removed him and because of the corruption and because of all this stuff that was going on that people didn't take seriously and didn't want to do that kind of stuff uh he had to come back and take extreme measures to set things right um and it ultimately did lead to the end of the republic and the starting of the empire uh though technically rome was an empire by that point but uh managed by an emperor um and you know solo was the one that kind of set the president and then caesar took it to its logical conclusion but the it's kind of like when we see um, our current state or previous governments and stuff like that and be like, oh, like, um, you know, personally, I'm a, I'm still making up my mind. But in general, I would say I'm, I'm pr more pro-monarchy than dem democracy, right? But uh, if you look at when, uh, like, Russia, for example, lost its monarchy, like, you can make... I can understand in that situation 
why you would be against the monarchy. If I was in that situation, I would be against the monarchy because it had, it had lost sight and had done such a terrible and incompetent job ruling that even uh, a democracy, even if it's not, even if it leads to issues, would be a better system than the current one that we have. Um, and also, resetting systems like this generally clears out a lot of the corruption and stuff like that. There's still issues and stuff like that, but usually when you get a fresh start, uh, the system slowly corrodes and, and rots and corrupts over time. Uh, democracies usually corrupt, uh, corrupt and rot quicker than monarchies and other forms of government. But uh, set, getting a new government in basically kind of resets that and does a fresh start. Uh, though, I mean, I don't know, in Italy they reset their government like every year and they s can't seem to fix the corruption. But on the flip side of that, uh, they reset the government, but like all the same people are still in the government. So in my opinion, that's not really, I'm talking about like a change of like elite leadership where, uh, you know, I, I guess in Russia, the Bol the, uh, Romanovs are out and the Bolsheviks came in, right? That is a change in distinct leadership. And obviously we know communism is not a good system, but, <clears throat> and it, it led to a lot of hardships, but at, for at least a little bit, it was better than what they had. <clears throat> uh, back to what I was talking about, uh, for a modern example of this, uh, Trump, when that article came out, uh, bragging that direct orders, uh, were violated when pulling out of Syria. This is an example that really, uh, how Trump should have acted, and he would have, if Trump was Sulla, this is how he would have acted, let's put it that way, uh, coming out bragging that direct orders were violated when pulling out of Syria, uh, probably getting men killed, uh, who should have been home, uh, should have been used as an excuse to purge the entire military and execute those who defied the orders of, uh, for treason. Uh, note that being better and holding the moral high ground does uh, nothing without action against those when uh, they use underhanded tactics. Having the high ground allows you to strike back. Uh, the conservatives or conservatives uh, would have you use it to uh, posture and claim that you are better while doing absolutely nothing to affect the positive change with this position. And so that's that's why conservatives are basically useless, and that's why Trump ultimately failed is because, um, and why even though. The changes that Sulla made were short-lived, and uh, the corruption stuff came right back in, basically, once uh, he left, and there was kind of a, a vacuum that got filled by his enemies. He was able to right some of the wrongs, get a lot of stuff corrected, and things like that, and clear out a lot of the corruption. Uh, not all of it, obviously, but uh, he was able to make a bigger impact than a Trump was in terms of uh, draining the swamp, as it were, because... He didn't just say, oh, well, look, I, you did this, aren't you such a hypocrite kind of thing. It's like, oh, you're a hypocrite? Okay, how can I use that to legally destroy you? How can I use that to, um, is there some kind of thing? If there isn't, did, did you break the law in some way? Oh, you broke the law, now, you, now you're giving me a reason to uh, declare martial law. Now that I have martial law in place, now I can uh, set up a tribunal and put all of the senators on trial make sure, uh, go into their histories, because as you, you want to dig around my history, time to dig around your history. You dig through their histories, you find something, because they all have something, and then boom, 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 you get rid of everybody that you, uh, don't want, and, uh, you're, uh, you're running the place, like, like it should be run. Uh, but you know, that's just how I see it playing out. Anyway, 
Uh, that kind of covers that. I rambled on that more than I thought I would. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, like, sh- uh, comment, subscribe. I'm on YouTube. I'm on BitChute. I'm on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your, your uh, podcasts. That's where I'm at. Uh, but thank you guys for listening, and have yourselves a good day. Goodbye.